0: Well as Rachel just read from Proverbs 14.26, uh, it's a great truth that we're looking at this morning. You may want to bring the volume down just a little bit, it feels a little little hot. Uh, <laughs> In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. I, I'm going to state the obvious, I think, Uh in a lot of ways today, not really going to talk about things that we haven't in different contexts talked about, in the marriage study or some of the retreats, um, but I do hope that God helps us today take a step further in our devotion to Christ, and uh, if you'll just allow me on Father's Day to speak to the men uh, I am going to talk to you guys a lot today, but I want you to know that uh, these things are applicable to each of us. Uh, our devotion to Christ, each one of us, each one of us could go deeper. And you'll see some of the reasons why that's such an important thing for us to consider. In the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Let's just take this apart a little bit. There are two statements in this verse. You can just cut it right in half. The first half of the verse says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. So let's just take that apart. In the fear of the Lord. What's what's the fear of the Lord? We've talked about this before. Fear of the Lord, or to fear the Lord is to admire the greatness of who God is. To be impressed with who He is. To be in wonder at who God is and to tremble at the greatness. It's to admire and to tremble. It's to be so impressed with His greatness that it makes you gulp. And I hesitate to, to, to give examples or, or to try to illustrate it or to compare it to something because no matter what I do, these examples will not leave us gulping hard enough. There won't be a great enough sense of admiration. There won't be a great enough sense of greatness to leave us trembling. But I'm going to try a little bit to just give us a flavor by showing us the story of a man named Alex Honnold and just to give you a little bit of context, they're going to talk about free soloing. And free soloing, as they'll describe, is a type of rock climbing where you don't use any kind of rope, you don't use any kind of harness. And Alex Honnold is very good at this. If you don't mind, Captain, we'll just we'll just play it. And excuse the sound, it might be a little rough that's the moment I want to capture right there Alex is who knows how many thousands of feet above the bottom and he's looking down I don't know if you could see him but he's he's glued to the wall at that moment he looked down he saw the vast majestic greatness of the height at which he was standing and he's considering that greatness, and he has fear. To fear the Lord is to behold him, to admire him, to consider the greatness, and to tremble. Now, this verse says, oh, well, I guess. The rest of the story is that Alex overcomes his fear and he climbs up the mountain. Just so you, know. you can find it on YouTube. It's amazing. But this verse says that in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, which seems odd. Because it would seem like at that moment, strong confidence would be the wrong choice of words. Like maybe scared shirtless would be better. Strong confidence just doesn't seem right. What this this means, to have strong confidence, when you fear the Lord, it actually means that fearing God, it, it puts you in a place of security, believe it or not. Or as the NIV says, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. Meaning that when you fear God, You're in a safe place. You're you're in a place of security. You have availed yourself of the protective shelter of the Lord. You've hid yourself within a fortress. Now, in what sense does fearing God give you safety? That's the question, right? In what sense does fearing God give you a strong confidence or the source of a strong confidence? There are two aspects to this. Number one, it gives you safety because the person who fears God is not toying with God. He's not free soloing. He does not take God's word lightly. He does not ignore God's warnings. He ensures that he is taking steady steps of obedience. He makes sure that he's walking on the path to life. The man or the woman who fears God takes desperate measures to ensure that they do not take the Almighty lightly. Because they admire Him and they tremble at His greatness. In the moment when Alex Honnold is fearing the height, he is not taking this thing lightly. He is glued to the wall. He's holding on for dear life. And that's a safe place to be. It's a safe place to be seriously reverent and clinging. The second aspect of why this is a safe place to fear the Lord provides us a fortress is because not only are you desperate and prudent and obedient, but God is inclined to help those who fear Him. The mountain comes to your aid. God loves to help, to provide for, to do good to those who fear Him. He gives promises to give favor. Psalm 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Would you like the angel of the Lord to encamp around your life, to be your defense, to be on your side to deliver you? Then fear the Lord. Psalm 85, 9, Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him. Salvation for those who fear the Lord. He provides food for those who fear Him. Provision for those who fear the Lord. Psalm 111, five. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. Psalm one forty-five nineteen. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Fear Him, Psalm 147, 11. His mercy is for those who fear Him. Do you want the mercy of the Lord? Do you want the friendship of the Lord? Do you want the favor of the Lord? Do you want salvation from the Lord? Do you want the angel of the Lord to encamp around you and deliver you? Then fear Him. It's a safe place to be. You're clinging to Him for dear life, and He's for you. The mountain comes to your aid. It's awesome, isn't it? Say amen. Wow. So when we fear the Lord, we're clinging to Him, but we're comforted by the fact that He's committed to good, to do good for those who fear Him. And that's why in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence or a secure fortress. The second half of the verse reads like this. And his children will have a refuge. His children will have a refuge. Parents who fear the Lord create a refuge for their children. I've got a note to myself here. Clarify. Thanks. A little more specific. When a parent fears God, it creates a refuge for the children. It creates an an environment in which the child now has the possibility of coming into the shelter that's being provided by dad and mom. The 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 children have a refuge because of what dad and mom are doing. Now there are two principles that I want to pull out of this, and the first one is this: water flows downhill. Water flows downhill, and what I'm talking about here just simply is influence. What we say, what we do, who we are, powerfully impacts our children. When mom and dad fear the Lord, their influence flows downstream into the lives of their children. And I'm going to talk to dads specifically. Dads who fear the Lord are pouring influence into the lives of their children. And and you should just know because I'm going to go to the fathers here pretty much for the rest of the time. But you should know that this verse doesn't say dads, to be fair. We could just say that this verse is saying a person's choices flow downstream to their children. So ladies, don't be offended if I am not talking to you uh, directly, but there are a lot of indirect applications here. Since this is Father's Day, I'm going to zero in on the dads. Fathers, what we do, what we believe, what we say, who we are, powerfully impacts our children. Powerfully. It doesn't mean that we are the cause of our children's Righteousness or the cause of our children's sin. We don't cause other people to sin. But it is fair to say that we can set our children up for success or, and we can set them up for failure. We can provide them the groundwork that leads to godly blessing in their lives. We can give them instruction and modeling and protection and provision. I'm sorry, Proverbs 20 verse 7. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Blessed are his children because dad walks in integrity. He's a righteous man who fears the Lord we can bring our children up in the ways of the lord dad you have incredible influence on your kids and you can bestow upon them a refuge steve ferrar wrote a man uh, wrote a book called anchor man and in the, in the book he basically opens the book this way i'm going to be reading some longer quotes today which will hopefully be nice and eloquent um, as opposed to the uh, typical sermon here but he talks about Dennis Rodman and Howard Stern so this is a little bit outdated I think this was written about 2000, maybe 98 so Dennis Rodman, NBA player, uh, uh, Howard Stern I think he's still pretty much in the, in the spotlight um, both of them very eccentric well, I'll just let him describe this. Dennis Rodman and Howard Stern have a lot in common. They're both famous, they're both rich, they're both profane, they're both rebellious, they're both rude, they're both national role models, they both appear in public dressed as women. So what's the explanation for these two adolescents who are trapped in the bodies of men? The explanation of both of them is their father. Dennis Rodman and, and let me just pause here. He's, he's probably going to say this a little stronger than I would say this, but it will make the point. I, I Again, it, it's important to realize fathers do not make their kids sin. What makes a person sin is their own rebellious heart. But the father can set them up for destruction. You can give them opportunities to respond to some very poor things that a father can do. So he says... The explanation of both of them is their father. Dennis Rodman has not seen his father in 30 years. His father now lives in the Philippines and has two wives. By those two wives, he has 15 children. But over the years, he has fathered a total of 27 children. According to a recent statement in Newsweek, Philander Rodman Jr. stated his life goal I'm shooting for 30 children. Here's a man who hasn't seen one of his sons for 30 years, but has set a goal to father 30 children. And certainly, this, that certainly helps to explain Dennis Rodman. But what about Howard Stern? In a recent interview with Rolling Stone, Stern let his guard down. I will never have a lot of self-esteem. I don't feel very good about myself. I still have an inferiority complex. The way I was raised, my father was always telling me I was a piece of expletive. I think I'll go to my grave not feeling very positive about myself or that I'm very, very special. My mother used to tell me how special I was. Every time I hear my mother's voice going, you're the most special little boy in the world. I hear my father going, you expletive, expletive, you are nothing but a piece of expletive. Can you imagine a father talking to a child like that? Now I know why Stern talks to millions of people every day on the radio like that. For our continues. Why did Howard Stern's father talk to him like that? I think that Howard's father talked to him like that because when his father was a young boy, his father talked to him like that. In other words, the problem of degrading young boys with poison speech in the Stern family probably didn't begin with Howard's father. It may not have started with his father. It's entirely possible that kind of speech has been in the Stern family for generations. And what about Philander Rodman? Do you think that Dennis Rodman's father came from a home where he saw his father being faithful to his mother? I can't prove this because I don't have access to the Rodman family genealogy, but I don't think it's too far off the mark to assume that the reason Dennis Rodman hasn't seen his father for 30 years is that his father wasn't used to seeing his father. Proverbs 20, verse 7 gets to the heart of the matter. A righteous man who walks in his, in his, a righteous man who walks in his integrity How blessed are his sons after him. Fathers with integrity don't label their children with profane names, and they don't abandon one wife to marry two more. Rodman and Stern have a lot of money and a lot of fame, but they are not blessed men. And the reason they are not blessed, according to Proverbs, is that they had very deficient fathers. Dennis Rodman and Howard Stern are responsible for their own behavior. They are responsible for responding the way that they did to the very terrible circumstances that inflicted their lives. They were set up for destruction, but they are responsible for their own behavior. The ultimate cause of my sin is never the people who victimized me, it is my own sinful heart responding sinfully to their sin against me. We can call it sin against you. But we respond with sinful hearts. But it doesn't nullify the fact that these men were set up for failure. They they didn't have the advantage of having godly fathers to influence them in the ways of the Lord. These fathers did not walk in the fear of the Lord. They didn't love righteousness, and their sons therefore did not reap the fruit of righteousness. They did not reap blessing because their fathers either didn't know or they didn't care that water flows downhill. They didn't tremble before God at the awesome responsibility that they had to influence their children. In the year 2000, Switzerland's Federal Statistical Office published the results of a study in which they asked this question. Does a person's religion carry through to the next generation and why or why not? It's a national study. I guess in Switzerland you have to report your religious information on a lot of stuff. So it's a federal study. Does a a person's religion carry through to the next generation, and why or why not? And here are the results of that study. Very surprising. Actually, I I don't find them all that surprising. Maybe you you won't either. In families where both the father and the mother are regular attendees of a church, dad regularly attends, mom regularly attends, 33% of their children ended up becoming a regular churchgoer. One in three children. In families where the father attends regularly, but the wife is non-practicing, doesn't even go to church, 44% of the children become regular church attenders. The number actually went up. It's almost one out of every two. If the mother... Why, what would explain that? I, I don't want to go into into it. it when, when kids see dad with a passion, stick with the passion in the face of opposition, they like that. If the mother attends regularly, but the father is non-practicing, 2%, one out of every 50 kids, ended up being a regular church attender when they grew up. Now when these stats and some additional ones that were all part of the the, the larger study, when these were all put together, here's the conclusion of the matter according to Touchstone magazine. Quote, in short if a father does not go to church no matter how faithful his wife's devotion, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. If a father does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers, either regular or irregular churchgoers. If a father goes but irregularly to church, regardless of his wife's devotion, between a half and two-thirds of their offspring will find themselves coming to church regularly or occasionally. Now the point here is not to discourage moms. There are other statistics that we will use for another sermon on Mother's Day perhaps. The point here is that church-going dads tend to produce church-going kids. At least according to this study. Why? Because water flows downhill. And dad, you produce a lot of water in your family which brings me to the second principle that I want to talk about God intends for you to provide a heritage of God fearing safety for your kids in the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge now those stats are very interesting but this verse doesn't talk about the man who goes to church it talks about the man who fears the Lord and there's a difference a lot of times right this verse does doesn't say his children will become a church going statistic it says that his children will have a refuge fathers fear the Lord and give your children a refuge they too will tend to follow your lead and fear the Lord themselves they too can avail themselves of the secure fortress of the Lord as they watch daddy and follow in his footsteps he's a man who fears God let me paint this for you actually I'll let Steve Farrar paint it for you and I'm gonna quote a, a, a long section here again in just a minute but before I do let me set it up with Deuteronomy chapter 6 Moses is about to lead the Israelites into the promised land preparing them to cross over, and before they go in, he wants them to make sure that they are deeply committing themselves to the Word of God. That they are deeply committing themselves to the covenant that has been revealed to them at Sinai, the law that God had given Israel. And he has special instructions for the fathers, because God has a strategy for ensuring the health of this nation. And it's a strategy for ensuring Israel's longevity in the land. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1, goes like this. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me, Moses, to teach you. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord, your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that you may and that your days may be long hear therefore O Israel and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey now did you catch the strategy Moses said God gave me these commandments to teach to you. Here's God's Word. I'm teaching you so that you will obey it so that you and your son and his son will fear the Lord. We're talking about a maybe a hundred years of influence, three generations of men who fear God. And here's Farrar's attempt to explain how it works talks about a guy named Joe Israel when Joe Israel follows God with everything he has his son sees this his son knows that there's nothing more important to his father than loving God and because his father loves God his father loves his mother his father loves Joe Israel Jr. and he loves Joe Jr.'s brothers and sisters Joe Jr. has friends whose dads constantly degrade them and put them down as Joe looks around at his friends, he realizes that he has the best dad around. As he gets older, it becomes more and more clear to him that the reason his father is such a great father is that God is at the center of his life. Time goes by and Joe Jr. grows up and marries a very fine girl by the name of Rebecca Levi. It's not long before Joe Jr. III comes along. Oh, I'm sorry, Joe Israel the third. Joe Israel III is a great kid who loves being with his dad and he loves to go over to his grandfather's house. Joe Israel III is a pretty lucky kid. Not only does he have a great dad, he has a grandfather who is off the charts. As he gets older, he sees some of his friends becoming deeply wounded when their fathers divorce their mothers. Joe Israel III realizes how fortunate he is to have a father and a grandfather who would never divorce their wives. As Joe Israel III continues to mature, he realizes that the reason he is so blessed by a great father and a wonderful grandfather is that God is at the center of their lives. God is number one in the Israel family. And not only does he have a grandfather who is anchored on the God of Israel, he has a father who is anchored as well. Joe Israel III is sad when his grandfather dies but he knows that one day he will be with him forever in heaven even when his grandfather is gone he doesn't drift and the reason he doesn't drift is that he has a father who is still anchored and that's why when Joe Israel the third becomes a father he will be anchored on God as well and because he is anchored his children will not be part of a drifting family because they're anchored on the God of Israel a child should be raised with a legacy of godliness and the heritage that should be passed from generation to generation to generation is the fear of the Lord, a heritage of awe and obedience that has been seen and tasted in the life of your father and in the life of your grandfather. Boys and girls are not meant to grow up in a home where they have not seen Godly men walking in the fear of the Lord. They need to see what it looks like to have a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. They need to see Daddy and Grandpa in in prayer together. They need to hear Daddy sing praise to Jesus because he is sold out for Christ. I mean, really, Daddy loves Jesus. They need to watch him lay his life down for mommy. They need to watch him stand up for what's right, even if he has to suffer for it. Kids need to see their parents suffer well. They need dad to teach them with wise insight from God's word. They need to see what godly character looks like. They need dad to talk with them about relationships and feelings, dads. And what it means to be a man. What it means to be a woman of God. They need dad to teach them what it looks like to work hard and serve with joy. And handle stress and have integrity. And never break your promises. They need dad to be home. They need grandpa to tell them Bible stories. And minister to their little hearts. And to their 20 something hearts when they get older and thirty something hearts perhaps they need to know what it looks like to follow jesus long and hard what it looks like to make a marriage last what it looks like to suffer well what it looks like to face illness and what it looks like to not only live well for jesus but what does it look like to die well you ever seen somebody die well with great faith in christ Show it to your kids. Show them what it's like. Die well. And live well. Where else are they going to learn? They need to grow up in an environment that soaks them with a fountain of the fear of the Lord so they don't have to figure this out on their own. Like lots of us are having to. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. They will have seen what it looks like to fear the Lord Almighty. They will have tasted it. They will have learned from it. They will have been coached through it. They will have grown up in it. And I know what some of you are probably thinking. I don't know. I'm guessing what some of you are probably thinking is that when you hear that this is how a family is supposed to be, it sheds some light on what family was actually like. You're thinking, I didn't grow up with that kind of grandpa. I didn't grow up with that kind of dad. And my family does not have a godly heritage to hand down. My family does not look like that. How I wish it did, but it doesn't. And it didn't. My family has legalism and control and divorce and alcoholism and anger and abuse and stoicism and materialism. That's the heritage that, that, that's being handed down. And I'm not trying to stir, to stir up bitterness toward parents right now. That's not the point of this. I know that some of us have some serious baggage and this is bringing that stuff to the surface. Today is is not a day to to bring up bitterness. Uh, Today is a day to honor our fathers. And we must must do that. Find things to be very thankful for. The purpose is not to stir resentment for their failures. It is to free you from your bondage to them, though. To free you from the bondage of the failures, perhaps, of your fathers and your grandfathers. I suspect that for some of us today Satan is powerfully tempting us to fear that we will be trapped as though you're in a series of links that keep repeating the same story generation after generation after generation you're just afraid that you're just the next link in the chain I don't care whether you're single whether you're a father, whether you're a grandfather, whether your dad was controlling, or violent, or weak, or distant. You need to know that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you do not have to be the next link in a rusty chain of godless Half hearted men who leave no refuge for their children or for their grandchildren. And because of the gospel, you, brother, you, you can start right now and be the man of God that He has called you to be the rest of your days. I don't care if you have screwed it up all the way until this morning before you walked in the doors of this church. You can start it over because of the gospel you can be the first link in a new chain hey you can anchor a new heritage bro you can do it because God is awesome not because you're awesome but because God is awesome because the gospel is awesome because the forgiveness is full because the power of the Holy Spirit gives strength to weaklings like you and me The anchor for a line of men and women who are finally sold out for Jesus Christ and who fear the Lord. How long has your family waited for this moment for you to step up and be sold out for Christ? It's not because we're better than any previous generation or more worthy than anybody that came before us. It's simply because in God's providence in His sovereignty, in His grace. This morning, He is extending an offer to every man and every woman in this room right now. An offer of His grace. Do you want your life to count? Do you want to invest in something that will still be producing eternal fruit a hundred years from now? Catch that vision Stop living for the vacation next month. Live for generation after generation and after generation. Do you want to provide a refuge for your children and for their children? Then hear the gospel today. Christ said, it is finished. You are a new creation Surrender your life. Fully surrender your life. Guys, there are some of us who are living a half-hearted, lukewarm Christian life. There are. You might produce churchgoers, but do you want to provide a refuge for your kids? Surrender your life. Fear the Lord. Be sold out for Christ. Be a new creation. Live for Christ's agenda. Live under God's word. Be a man. Be a woman of God. Make every other pursuit of secondary importance. And be an anchor for your family. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our fathers and for our grandfathers many of whom have left us a heritage we thank you for that many of us can't say that but we thank you for them as well Lord thank you for the gift of life thank you for creating us and bringing us to this moment even right now where you give us the opportunity to anchor a new generation. Would you, for the sake of your glory, cause the the men in particular, but both the husbands and the wives, in this room, to be the fountainhead of the fear of the Lord. I pray that this message, Lord, would bring a hundred years of influence or more 200 years of influence, Lord. Of godliness. For the sake of your glory. For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the nations. For the sake of the salvation of those who have yet to hear. Do it, Lord. Heal heal hearts today, Lord. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you that... By your grace, we can respond differently. We thank you for your mercy that washes us clean. Even from the, the cruel words or the half-hearted devotion that we've seen in our own life this last week, or maybe even this morning. Right now, Lord, cleanse us. Remind us that the, that the nails-pierced Christ for that sin and it is finished. You are sufficient for the weak man. Like me, like us. You are sufficient, Lord. Our only boast is you. And we pray these things in Christ's name.